Martin. And this week, we're going to talk about repairing damaged relationships. So kind of the opposite of what we talked about last week, which was marriage advice. And we gave a lot of really good tips and references on making a marriage work or any long-term committed relationship, really. So now we're going to change gears and talk about what to do when the relationship is damaged. And we thought of doing an episode on divorce. And Dr. Burton brought up a really good point in that he almost never recommends divorce. Obviously, there are circumstances when divorce is warranted. So abuse, long-term. Physical abuse, abuse. Mm -hmm. extreme emotional abuse. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So tell me about that. You never recommend divorce. Almost never. Almost never. And here's the reason why. When you talk about how to repair damaged relationships, this is what I do because Mm -hmm. people... People who come and sit in my office, uh, there's something that's not right, you know, with their relationships and that. So that's what we work on. But they have to be the ones to make the choice to get the divorce themselves. I think Mm -hmm. there are some therapists. I know I know this happens. There are some therapists who do say, "Okay, it's time to get a divorce. I would never say that because I don't live in their shoes. And Mm -hmm. we can just talk about behavior changes, what you can do to improve the relationship. But in the end. They have to be the ones to decide, is it time to end the relationship or not? So right. I, I don't think it's my place. And in fact, people ask me sometimes, uh, not that often, I'll say that is your choice. You okay. know, as long as, as long as they are coming to sit in and sit in my office, I'm going to do whatever I can to help them repair the relationship. I just think it's a better use of the time than me saying, okay, get a divorce. I agree. I think that's a really great philosophy. And one of the things that we've talked about a lot in the past is you have to realize that you're bringing together, like you call it, too many cultures. You're two very, very different people. And that takes adjustment. It takes time to learn to get to know one another. But I think that there's always hope. I kind of agree that divorce shouldn't be an option. Well, I think it's a lousy solution to most problems. And I want to make it clear for the listeners, as you said at the start, but I want to reiterate it, that there are times when a divorce is appropriate. Absolutely. And so if I see a couple where there's clear physical abuse going on Mm -hmm. and threat, then I will recommend that the person, usually it's the woman who's being abused, but that they get out and I'll try and help them find a safe way to do that. Mm Because that could be a whole nother podcast on that's a very dangerous time for women to leave a relationship. But so I just want to be clear, there are times when a divorce is appropriate. But I think that most often, I've never seen a marriage where it's just one person issue. Yeah. I really mm-hmm. haven't. It, I mean, sometimes you might see one person where their behavior is really big, I call it, and loud. And as soon as you get them to quiet down that behavior, then all of a sudden the other person's part mm-hmm. in the relationships becomes more clear. So you each have parts of the relationship that you're involved in that don't work. And you each have the issues that you bring to the relationship. So if you get a divorce, Mm -hmm. depending on your age, the chance is pretty high that you're going to end up in another relationship. You're just taking that same problem with you. Exactly. You can deal with it right here in this marriage where often there's children. And I'll say a little bit more about that in a minute. Or you can go somewhere else and have the exact same issue pop up because guaranteed it will. 
-hmm. And that's what I try and help them see that your part in this will follow you wherever you go. And so you might as well stay here and solve that. Now, I think the, the issue with children, I have kind of a strong opinion on this, but it's pretty well backed up by research, what we call longitudinal research on children okay. of divorce. If there are children in the marriage, then I have a pretty strong opinion about this. And that, and it's backed up by some longitudinal research, which is they follow children of divorce, you know, from the time of divorce to when they're in their 50s and 60s. And divorce is very difficult on children, both yeah. mental health wise and even physically, it's difficult. And so the only time that it, the research shows that it work, that it's in the best interest of children is if there's a lot of overt fighting. So a lot of really okay. angry fighting that you're seeing, certainly if they're witnessing any type of physical interaction, mm -hmm. then that's not good for the kids. And in fact, in the state of Utah, maybe other states, but in the state of Utah, if a child witnesses domestic violence, then that's considered child abuse. Hmm, and so, and the, and the person, you know, who's committing the domestic violence, maybe even both of them can be taken in for child abuse. So that's how serious I think that is. But otherwise, if, you know, there's not a lot of overt fighting mm -hmm. and you're getting along and maybe you just, you know, aren't liking each other that well, then yeah. it's really in the best interest of the children to stay together. And I know a lot of people have problems with that. And sometimes, you know, as adults, you brought these kids into the world and maybe sometimes you make that sacrifice. But that doesn't mean it's in the best interest of the adults because often it's not. Mm -hmm. And so somebody loses here. That's my problem with divorce. Somebody's always going to lose. It's going to be the kids or the adults. Right. It's, it's and just not a great solution, I don't think. I tend to agree. And I know that for some people, maybe divorce is inevitable. And people, again, their adults are going to make their own decisions. But I mean, one thing I do want to say that I'm sure you're going to agree with is if there is an instance of divorce where children are involved, it is very, very important to never talk bad about your spouse to or in front of your children. Which, you know, you can say that as many times as you want to people who are getting divorced. Oh, I know. And the problem is, so here's my experience. Usually when a couple divorces, one of them doesn't want it. Okay. And so when the one doesn't want it, they get angry. Mm -hmm. And even they get angry at each other. And so the, you know, the anger at each other takes over. And they can even say, oh, I don't want to put the kids in the middle or I don't want to say negative things. And it is just so easy to fall into that trap mm -hmm. because you're so angry at the other person. But you're right. It is so important to keep the kids out of it. Now, it here, really here's is. the other thing. And this is a little bit of an aside talking about divorce. But I think that if you have children and you divorce, the optimal way to do it mm -hmm. is that you keep the house or at least one house. The kids stay in the house and the divorced people move in and out mm -hmm. for custody. You know, most people agree, yes, that's the best thing for the kids. It almost never happens. Mm -hmm. because again, the adults are concerned about their lives and uh, what's going on with their lives. And when it falls apart, if it does happen, when it falls apart is when each one or one or the other goes into another relationship. And, yeah. and, and then that new wife or that new husband doesn't want them going back to the house to be with their kids. So I know it rarely happens, but if you're talking about what's best for the kids, that's what mm -hmm. it is. Right. And I think also one of the reasons why it is so important not to badmouth your ex, your spouse, is because no matter what, that kid is still 50% that person. 
Right. And, and they so, still love that other person, no matter exactly. what. Exactly. Yes. I heard you talking about this on the radio just Monday is that they're going to have fond memories. Right. And hopefully they will continue to. So right. hopefully that you guys can figure out a way to co-parent and hopefully it's a situation where your spouse can still be involved in the child's life. And you need to remember that, that that is still that person's mother or father, and they're still going to have a relationship with them. Don't taint it because of your decisions. Right. And I think that, mm-hmm. well, I think that a lot of people don't understand both parents are equally yes. important, I believe, even exactly. in a divorce situation. I mean, there are going to be cases like the one we discussed on the radio on mm-hmm. Monday where, you know, the the father's in jail. So that's obviously not a, a typical situation. But I, right. in the vast majority of divorces, I think both parents are equally important to those yeah. kids. Yeah. And don't try to mitigate that because right. you need your parents. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So let's talk about kind of two things at once. The top three causes of divorce, which I know uh-huh. people can just Google. And we'll talk about that maybe in terms of the reason why couples come to counseling or kind of what you've seen, your perspective on the top reasons people either get divorced or the top reasons that they have for needing counseling, needing an intervention in their marriage, because it feels like it's at the end. Okay. And so I didn't Google it, so I have no uh-huh. idea what Google's going to say. Okay. I just, I'm basing this just on my years of treating couples. And so I think okay. that I'll go from, from three up. So the okay. first one, I think I'm going to label it betrayal in general. Now, okay. John Gottman wrote a book. It's called The Science of Trust. And I want to be clear, I'm not recommending the book. I don't think it's a very good book. But, okay. okay. And, <laughs> but in one of the chapters, he talks about betrayal more than just an affair, which mm-hmm. is going to be my number two thing. So I'm, these are different ways that people often betray their partner. And he has 12 different, I won't read them all. Betrayals by secrets, lies and deceptions. Betrayals, coalitions with others against the partner. Betrayals by disinterest, which I always thought was an interesting one. They stop expressing interest in their partner. Mm. Uh, Betrayals by unfairness and lack of care. See, these are things that we often don't think of as betrayals. But I agree with him in this, that, you know, when we get married, for most of us, we're making commitments of some kind, and the, those yes. commitments may be different, you know, specifics. But for instance, betrayals of affection, mm-hmm. betrayals by lack of sexual interest. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, I'm not going to have sex with you. We often find this in counseling a room is that you have two people, they get married, they agree to be monogamous, and then one of them decides, oh, I'm not going to have sex with you, which leaves the other one kind of stuck. Yeah. Because they still want to have a sexual relationship, but one person has opted out. Now, Gottman thinks that's a betrayal. I agree with him. Mm-hmm. Betrayals by abuse, betrayals by disrespect, betrayal by not meeting each other's needs. So I think that third one for me is just betrayals in general. Yeah. The second one, and this at least for me doesn't happen that often is an affair. So a sexual mm-hmm. or an emotional affair. I certainly see a lot of them. I mean, it's just not every relationship right. that comes in. That's why it's not number one for me. But often when that happens, the couple just decides to divorce and they don't go into counseling. But mm-hmm. the people, we can talk a little bit later about what the steps are to repair. 
from an affair because I really believe you can. And I have seen it many, many times where okay. couples can effectively repair. And what's interesting, once they get to the other side of the repair, I think this is almost all, always the case. They say their relationship is in a better place. Now, okay. I would never want to wish an affair on anyone. I don't think no. this is a good way. I don't think this is a good way to go about improving your relationship. There but are it, many, at, many better ways. <laughs> but it actually can if okay. you go about it in, in the right way. And I've seen it uh, happen. So I think the number one reason that people come in is what I'd call emotional disconnection. Okay. And that often is expressed well, in a number of ways. One is, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. And often what happens is they lead parallel lives, as I call it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can even have kids together. Maybe you've got two careers. And what's happened is you've forgotten how to connect. Now, I think one of our last podcasts, we really, we talked about the importance of having date nights and working mm -hmm. on the relationship. And so couples, a lot of couples just forget that. And so 20 years on and the kids are, the kids often are around, oh, a junior or senior in high school. And they're just, you know, the, the parents can see, okay, one or two years and these kids are off to college. What are we going to do? And I hear that mm -hmm. a lot, you know, and so they've neglected their emotional relationship. Often their physical relationship is still pretty good, but they've neglected their emotional relationship for 15 years. Yeah. And then they decide, okay, we better work on it. That's a very hard place to be because if you become emotionally disconnected mm -hmm. from your spouse, that is the hardest place to come back from. Okay. And I think the reason is because you don't want to be vulnerable and, you know, vulnerability, you have to be vulnerable in order to be emotionally intimate. Mm -hmm. And so if you, what you're wanting is that emotional intimacy with your partner, and you have just spent 10 years protecting yourself from being vulnerable, that is a tough, tough place to come back from. Okay, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. Hi there, my name is Maya Acosta, and I'm the host of the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions podcast, where I explore ways that we can optimize our health. I learned about the field of lifestyle medicine, which uses evidence-based approaches to prevent, halt, and in even some cases, reverse disease. These are lifestyle modalities, such as using certain foods as medicine, using exercise to reverse disease, managing our stress, and even getting adequate sleep. Join me and the amazing people that I get to talk to as I set out to learn how taking better care of ourselves can help us both improve the quality of life and enhance our longevity. Let's get started. Interesting. Yeah. So we'll circle back to that. Maybe how to avoid that, I think would be right. a good step. So I took a parenting skills class a number of years ago in college, and we talked about the top reasons for divorce. And I think she gave statistics or something like that. But she said the top, I remember the top two reasons was money and sex, the top two reasons, which kind of coincides with, with what you've said. Right. Um, so I would put, I would put the sex one in that third 
part of betrayal of sexual interest, which often mm-hmm. happens. But they all go together because in order to really have a good sexual relationship, I think you have to have a pretty good emotional relationship, meaning mm-hmm. you've got to have a great dialogue going on about sex. And so what happens is a lot of couples, they just let it go. They mm-hmm. they don't say anything. And so and then, you know, five years down the road, they're thinking, well, we've got to work on this. I think they can. It's just very tough. And Gottman's research certainly backs that up. He would say that the emotional disconnection is very, very tough to get again. So if a couple comes in and I can I can still tell that they're emotionally connected, that's a good sign. Even though they're unhappy, if they're emotionally connected, that's a good sign. So I'm trying to imagine how that comes about? How do you get to a point where you're emotionally disconnected? And I guess I'm thinking about it in terms of my own marriage. And Curtis and I are obviously very happy in our marriage. We're very emotionally connected. And I can't imagine how that could change other than we both got so busy. And maybe I've started a career, our kids are older, and we just stopped making time for each other. That's the only way I can... Yeah. Okay. That's it. That, I mean, you just you just described it because for a lot of families nowadays, they they both have a career, mm-hmm. and they're both busy, and usually, you know, they take a lot of time, and they have kids. Mm-hmm. They come home. You want to spend time with the children. I see a lot of couples who then, after the kids are in bed, they continue working. Mm. You know, they've got high stress careers where they believe that they need to be working all the time, which is that's a whole nother problem with, I think, the American workplace um, is that I think we require way too much or we give way too much to our employers. And so I really advocate, you know, you've got to come home, you end work and you don't go back to work that night Mm -hmm. because you've got to focus on the relationship. And so one of the things I do probably with most of the couples that I see is the they will leave in that first appointment. And I've, you know, I don't know them well, but they'll leave with the assignment that they have to go home and spend at least a half hour every night together without a phone, without a TV, mm-hmm. without a laptop or computer. They have to take an electronic break for a half hour and yeah. just focus on each other. Now it scares a lot of them mm-hmm. because they think, okay, what are we going to talk about? And I try and give them uh, like rubbing shoulders, things like that, or rubbing each other's head, doing something soothing for each other. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to talk if they don't want to. Eventually they probably will. If you want to have an emotional connection, you've got to create the context in the marriage in which that can occur. And if you aren't spending time together, it can't occur. Yeah. And nowadays, it's so easy for couples to do that. Right. So I am thinking about, as you're saying all this, couples mm-hmm. who, who work from home, which Curtis has been working from home for three years now. And I remember when he first started this job, worrying that we would get sick of each other. And we never did. And it's almost a catch 22, him working from home, because the problem is, is he's always at work. And that's a problem. (laughs) Yes. But the really big upside is he's always home. And so we see each other so much. In fact, it's almost kind of weird for us to go all day and not see each other. I remember like the first couple of times it happened, we're kind of like, I missed you. Like I didn't see you all day. And that's really weird for us because even though he's working 
we're still constantly in contact. And I think that has definitely strengthened our relationship because we always, always know what's going on with the other person. And -hmm. it's not that we, you know, don't have or can't have separate lives, but we both really like that. I mean, he loves the flexibility. I love him being home. I get extra help sometimes throughout the day. And yeah, we both would say it really sucks when we put the kids to bed and he goes back to work because there's times where that happens because again, he's always at work, but man, I love him working from home and I didn't think I would, but it's turned out to be a really good thing. And maybe some couples are thinking, yeah, no, I thought so too. And then this last year, the pandemic happened. I've been working from home and I'm sick of this person. Right. I hear that a lot. Yeah. And so the last 18 months, I think, because often both are working from home. And what I try and help them do is really have line, you know, five o'clock, six o'clock. It really doesn't matter. They're mm-hmm. done with work. Right. And it's harder when you're both working from home because it's so easy to go sit down at your computer. You're doing everything online anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people, you know, are working with someone in a different time zone. And so there's probably always someone that you can be doing some sort of work with. Right. But you you have to to change that. And I think employers, you know, take advantage of people sometimes. I think this is still true in France, at least they passed a law that you can't send work emails after like five o'clock huh. in the evening. Weird. And you can't, I think you can't send them on weekends. Huh. And Interesting. The, the French are kind of controlling that way. But I think what they're after is there's got to be a break. That you can't just work people, you know, 24 hours a day. It just doesn't work well. So relationship-wise, that can lead to that disconnect that we're Mm -hmm. talking about, which is the number one thing I see in couples. Here's the other part of it. As I think often, and this is going to be maybe too sex-specific with, I think, females. I think we raise females to have a better way of emotionally connecting. I think Mm -hmm. that's just often what we do. And we raise men not to do that well. And so Mm -hmm. for the vast majority of couples that come in, the wife's going to say, you know, again, if they're a heterosexual couple, the wife's going to say, I don't feel connected to him. He doesn't talk to me. I have heard that so many times. And so Mm -hmm. one of the tasks we have is to help usually the male feel more comfortable with one, their emotions being in touch with their emotions and being able to talk about it and being able to listen. Now, often what happens is males tend to focus on solution. The wife comes in and says, oh, this and this and this happened. And the husband's saying, well, here's what you ought to do. Yep. And if you can pull back so that he doesn't go to solution and he's just listening. Mm-hmm. When they learn to do that, men feel much better about the marriage because it's not their job to solve everything. And then the emotional connection improves as well because Mm -hmm. they're listening to each other. Those are my top three reasons, top three reasons people seek divorce. Right. And I think it comes back to men are from Venus, women are from Mars. I mean, (laughs) it's, it really is true. And our brains really are wired so different. Oh, there's this really great video that I'm going to have to find where the psychologist talks about it. And he does it in a really funny way. Uh That's probably John Gray. John Gray is the guy who did Venus and Mars. Oh, does he talk about men in the nothing box? I it's been a long time since I've seen it, but that could be oh, okay. Him. Okay. Anyways, they talk about how men have a nothing box where they can literally just think about 
nothing. And it baffles women. It baffles me. And I'm like, how can you think about nothing? I'm and that never makes, thinking about that, nothing. That makes so much sense to me. That's what I'm uh-huh. Because <laughs> yes, I have a nothing box. <laughs> yeah. And then the wives are like, well, can I get in the nothing box with you? And the husbands are like, no, because then it's the white box. Then it's not Then it would be something. Box. It wouldn't be nothing. It would be something. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, our brains are, I mean, we might as well be two different species. So, I mean, it's right. no wonder that conflicts are going to happen. And anyways, we're wired different. And in yes. a lot of ways, it's what gives us strengths because women are tend to be more nurturing and more caring right. and more loving. And that makes us really good mothers. Right. And men tend to be very focused and work driven. And that makes them really good providers. And that's not to say that those roles can't cross. Men can be very great at nurturing. Women can be very good at working. But I think those differences are a good thing. And it's what makes us really strong as a society and what helps kids to be successful. Well, I think the differences certainly are good, especially as parents, we bring different qualities to being parents. Mm -hmm. But I also think that nowadays, at least my experience is most women want something more from their husbands than just the paycheck. And I think Mm -hmm. the reason is they can go out and get their own paycheck now. And they do not, they do not need him to go get the paycheck. And so I really believe that it's important for men to learn how to step up Mm-hmm. and cross over into that emotional world. See, I think women have been able, let's call it the world of work and then the emotional work, although that, okay. uh, or the emotional world, and that's not a great distinction. But I think women have, for a long time have been able to move between them pretty mm-hmm. easily because, you know, they're brought up that way to be those nurturers, the, the emotional role of mother and connecting. And then they go into the world of work and they have to be in that role of solving problems. And so I think women move easily between those two. The only thing that forces men out of that role of solving problems in the world of work is their marriage. I think their children as well. So I think it's really men's job to step up and learn how to do this. And I really believe it's a skill. I think men can easily learn how to do this. Absolutely. Even It makes better marriages. Yeah. And even if it's doing something as simple as pitching in around the house unasked or taking time with the kids. You know, Curtis and I have a family dynamic where he works. I'm a stay-at-home mom. And with three kids, well, nowadays, thankfully, people know and recognize just how busy a mom's job is. But we naturally divide our roles. And unfortunately, I can't really cross in to Curtis's world because Mm -hmm. I can't help him with work. I don't have a degree, but he does step into mine and cross over. And he often helps me out with dinner. We both get the kids to bed. We're a team. And I think that you have to keep doing that. And you have to do that. You have to be a team in order to make a marriage work when there's, especially when there are kids Or even if you are both working, you can't expect one person to do it all. Right. And certainly men, I think, help statistically. Fathers help more around the house. Now it's still not Mm 50-50, though, by any means. It reminds me of a great book. I still have it in my bookshelf. It's called The Lazy Husband. Okay. And But what was funny is the guy found that so men wouldn't buy the book. 
of uh-huh. course, called The Lazy Husband. Uh-huh. I wish I could remember what he changed it to. Because I then saw the guy had a book of a different title. Okay. And I opened it up and it was The Lazy Husband inside uh-huh. the book, just with a different title. But I think that, you know, men aren't lazy. I think they just aren't brought up to do those types of things well, mm-hmm. but they can learn how to do it. Here's what I hear from uh, often wives as they want their husbands to be more present. And what yeah. that means is that they help around the house or help with the children without being asked, that they are present enough in the relationship that they see when the child needs something done for it, or when they see that the dishes need to be put away. Because if the wife is always the one asking, yeah. that puts her in a different role. That puts her in the role of mother and that never works very well. And so you really want it to be equal. You're equally responsible for the running of the house and the, you know, the raising of the children when you can. I mean, so, you know, in your situation, hopefully there's sometimes when Curtis isn't working. Yes. And then, and (laughs) and then at that point, you're equally responsible for the raising of the children and the running of the house. Yeah. And he does do a good job. And so one thing that I would like to say to that is something that we talked about last week in own your expectations. Mm -hmm. I think too often women get mad at men because they don't just jump in and, and pitch in. You need to express your expectations and say, Hey, I want you to do this. And be very specific. Curtis has always been very, very willing to pitch in where I need him to. But I mean, he doesn't always just see something that needs done and do it. And I think men need to be clear as well. I think they need to be open and honest and being able to tell their wives, I had a really, really hard day at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes I, that happens. Yeah. Can I just take 30 minutes when I get home to decompress and be away from everyone? And wives, they, they need to understand it. It's got to be a team. Right. And that's a good strategy. That's a good strategy Mm -hmm. that we often talk about with couples is when you come home from work, take 30 minutes and Mm -hmm. put on your your game face for the family. Yeah. You know, your father face, your husband face. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so this was great. Talked about a lot of good stuff. Next week, we're going to be into the month of September and September is National Suicide Awareness Month. So for the whole month of September,